looked at this uh, quite a bit this last uh, probably two weeks trying to figure out how much of this I was going to take and do because there's four little vignette stories here between this between 33 and the end of the chapter and I decided we're only going to do one because it's communion Sunday as well so we're going to do one. Luke chapter 4 starting at verse 33. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of the unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice saying let us alone what have we to do with you you Jesus of Nazareth you are are you come to destroy us I know who you are the holy one of the god and Jesus rebuked him saying hold your peace and come out of him and when the devil had thrown him into the midst he came out of him and heard him not and they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying what a word is this with for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country. This is kind of an interesting little story. We, last week we talked about him going to Nazareth, and he was rejected by Nazareth. And remember, when he claimed to be God, they took him out of the synagogue, took him up to the top of the mountain. They were going to kill him, and he just slipped through the midst of them. And then it says, we ended that last week with, he went to out Capernaum and the area of Galilee preaching uh, and teaching people and casting out demons. And we, we made the point that of Jesus did not spend all, of, all or even most of his time in Nazareth. He spent it in Capernaum, which is a more centralized city on the trade routes, much larger town than Nazareth was. So here he is now. On another Saturday, he's in the synagogue. And I just want to kind of point out, it's kind of interesting that in this synagogue was a man that was possessed by a demon. And it's, it's very amazing when we think about this. Churches are not immune to having people that are demon-possessed or even totally against God in their midst. This is something we need to be aware of. I've said many times that, you know, we need to be aware first off that there are sinners around us, always. Now, having said that, every one of us is a sinner. All right. Now, I know the testimony of most of us in this church say that we are a Christian and we know God and we're not as quite as bad a sinner as many others, but we still sin. But in almost every single church that I have ever been into, I'm going to say every church that I've been in, there have been people that are Number one, lost, don't know God. And I've gone to good churches for the most part, you know, good Bible teaching churches where the gospel message has been taught. But there will be people who aren't saved in the church. Many of them will be what Jesus later on talked about, the wheat in the, 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 the father plants wheat in there and Satan puts tares in there, which tares, from whatever, what I understand, are, are grow up, they look like wheat until they get big enough to produce fruit. And so there are people in churches that look like Christians. And, you know, this is kind of an amazing thing because Judas Iscariot portrays Jesus. And we think, oh, he's a terrible, awful person. What an awful person he must have been. Do you realize it also says that he's the one that carried the money bag for the disciples and Jesus? You don't give the money bag to somebody that you don't trust. So he was a trusted disciple. When Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me, if you remember that story in the upper room, everybody didn't go, oh, it's, it's Judas over there. He's the one that's going to betray them. 
they all were willing to think they were the one that could do it before they thought of Judas. He was somebody that if you had looked at the group, you would have said, wow, look how, look how wonderful he is. He's, he, he's the one that's following. He's the one that's doing the, you know, following God. He's, he's the one that knows everything that's going on, and he's the one that can be depended on. Many times these false Christians in churches look better than most of the Christians do. Sad to say, but it is true. Unfortunately, we as Christians oftentimes get the, get the label put on us that we're hypocrites because we say one thing and do something else so often. You know, and I'm not going to criticize us for that because we also get attacked more. If you're already on Satan's side, he has no reason to attack you. He has no reason to trip you up. He can make you look as good as possible because you are going to be the one that is going to lead everybody down the wrong path anyway. But when you're a Christian, oh, you know, you're going to be under attack. You're going to be under attack just because you're a Christian. Then you decide you're going to do something for God. I'm going to teach a Bible study or I'm going to, I'm going to start witnessing. I'm going to start tithing my money. I'm going to start going to another, another, another Bible study. Oh, how many of you know what it's like on Sunday morning when you're ready to go to church and have Satan attack? Now, more arguments in my family happened on Sunday morning and Wednesday night than any other, any other day of the week. And it was usually right before it was time to get in the car to go to church. Why? Well, the hope was to keep you from it. That was first off. But if he couldn't keep you from it, you got there and you were in, in a mindset to worship God. It's going to be that time when somebody's going to call you right before you're going out the door with bad news or, or hard, hardship or, or just want to talk. You know, and on the one side, they're going to say, well, you're a Christian. You should make time to talk to me. Uh, well, I also have to go to church to be fed. I have to go to this. You know, Satan will attack. And the more you do for God, the more he will attack. You know, it's an amazing thing that, you know, that if you're not in the middle of an attack as a Christian, you're, you're just in the low between it. And you're going to be attacked. Now, having said that, if you're not under an attack by Satan, then you need to look at your life and say, God, am I doing stuff for you that's going to challenge the kingdom of darkness? Because you need to understand that these attacks are Satan trying to stop people from going forward. This is why God gives us all these things. He tells us, rejoice always and everything give thanks. You know, gives us Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All through these things, we look at it and say, God, you have a reason. I'm under attack because we are in a spiritual battle. And if you're not under, under attack, then you need to be, are you part of the battle? Or are you hiding at home under the bed? You know, if you're in the battle, you will be attacked. Not always. Of course. Most people who are under attack don't realize that they're under attack because they don't understand spiritual warfare. And how much will Satan have to attack you depends on how strong you are in the first place. If you're somebody who's very just getting started and don't realize you're under attack, it doesn't take much to knock you over. If you're somebody who realizes I'm in a spiritual battle 
and I'm in a real battle, then it's going to take a lot more to knock you out of the, out of the game plan. And I've said this over and over. The level of our attack is going to be equal to where we're at with God. If I know a lot about something, then my attack has to be a stronger attack to make it a challenge. Or it's not a challenge. If I walk into a party where people are drinking, I'm not going to have a problem walking around that party and not drink. It's not a temptation to me at all. Now, I have plenty of other temptations that would be out there that would be a problem. But that would not be a temptation to me. As we grow in God, we will get higher and higher levels. When I've talked about you, you're learning how to give grace to people. When you first start out, you get something real easy to be given grace, but you know it's still a test. You've learned to give grace and you've been doing it for years. You're going to find that person is really hard to give grace to. And I've given you the example before. For a kindergartner, you know, you give them one plus one is equals two as a test, and that's a hard test for a kindergartner. But if you were sitting in high school and your math teacher gave you one plus one equals, two plus two equals, three plus three equals, as your high school algebra math test, you'd be looking at that teacher and going, what is, what's going on here? This isn't a test. I've known this since I was in kindergarten. God does that with us. He takes us, okay, you've learned this. You've been learning this. Now I'm going to put somebody in your life that is going to be, do you really know it? God, I'm, I'm learning to love people. So you get somebody in there just gives you a little irritation. But when you're really starting to learn love and forgiveness, God says, well, I think you're ready to really get tested here. And he puts somebody and you look at go, no, 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 God, not that person. Don't put that person in my life. And God says, I think you're ready for this person. Pass that one. He'll give you somebody even, even nicer to, to, to work on. Because God is always out there testing us. So yes, it is very true that we may not even recognize that we're in a test because if our mindset's not right, we won't recognize we're in a, we're in a test. But if we're serving God, we need to keep our eyes open and say, God, this is a test. And I'm going to tell you right now, what will keep you from serving God in whatever area God is talking to you to serve in? What will keep you from a Bible study? What will keep you from opening the Word of God on, a Sunday, on, on your weekdays for your, for, your, for your devotions? If it'll keep you, guess what's going to happen every time? I'm trying to learn to devo the devotional habit. I'm going, and God will say, okay, I'm going to make sure you wake up a little late. What are you going to choose, your devotions or your breakfast or, or the newspaper or the news on the TV, whatever it is that you would normally put in its place? You know, what will keep you from doing it? You know, there are people that will tell me, well, I couldn't come to church because of whatever reason. And, you know, there are legitimate reasons to come, not come to church. If you're sick, don't come to church. But, you know, I've had people go, well, I had a headache when I woke up. Well, how long did that headache last? Well, it was about 11.15 that it ended. And I'm not denying that they had a headache. Don't, don't get me wrong. I believe they were under a spiritual attack to see, will this headache keep them from coming to church? And you know what happens the next week? They get a headache at around 10.30 in the morning, 10, 10.30 in the morning, and it goes away about 11.30. And the week after, and the week after, and the week after. When you fall before God on a test, Satan knows what, what bait to use. 
If you're a fisherman, you learn what kind of bait to use, what kind of lure to use for the, for the fish you're trying to catch. And Satan knows what kind of lure to put on the hook to keep us from serving God. So yes, it becomes very obvious that we need to be looking. If I'm not serving God the way I think God wants me to serve, then I need to look and say, what bait have I fallen for? What is keeping me from serving God that I have, like the shiny spinner on the, on the hook that I, get, that I bite for on every, every time it's time to serve him? So we look at this. This man, demon-possessed in the church. And it's quite interesting because Jesus walks in and the demon speaks. What have we to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth, you son of the most high. The demons knew who Jesus was and who he is. Do the demons really get to know you when you bring God into their presence? Do they know who you are? In Acts, there's a, te- there's a story about the sons of Sceva. They were, ex- they were uh, exorcists and they went into this demon because they were having trouble with it. And what did they say? In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. They did not know Jesus, so they had no power to use his name. And the demon spoke to them. They go, Jesus we know. uh, Paul we're beginning to know. But who are you? Do you know Jesus well enough that when you walk into a situation, the demons are beginning to know you? because of who you have in you? Or are you somebody that just is Christian in name only, doing nothing? There are lots and lots of people who are Christian in name only. There are a lot of them that may even be Christians, but don't experience the power because they do not believe in the power of God. God wants us to be victorious by his standard, not victorious by the world standard. He's not making every Christian a billionaire putting us on the top of a mountain in a great big big uh, mansion with lots of cars and servants. Now, some of that might be nice, but it's not what he does. He keeps us in the world where we can minister to the people. Because one thing about the rich and famous is, how many of you ever interact with the rich and famous? <laughs> now, I haven't had many interactions with people that are rich and famous. God wants us down in the city in the towns where we can interact with the lost world not up in some mansion behind gated communities where we're not being able to to minister with with people he doesn't want us hiding even in a church and just being taught all the time and never pouring out to others one of the greatest advantages that i did do have now at the prison is i've got lots of people to talk to about jesus and that's kind of a captive audience because they can't go anywhere (laughs) Not very far anyway. They can get a little ways away from me, but they're not going to go very far. But even back before I had that job, when I was here often, you know where I hung hung out with most of the time when I was here? I went up to the post office a lot around 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Why? Because everybody in town goes to the post office between between around 11 to 1 o'clock, or used to anyway. You got to meet people. You got to see people. How many people are you actually meeting? Are you talking to? Are you sharing Christ with? You know, there are ways to do it. You can write letters. You can drop tracts off. You can be able to minister to people. It's important for us to talk to people about 
Jesus and make connections. This disciple says, we know who you are. And Jesus' answer was quite interesting. He says, hold your peace. Now this word for peace actually is have a muzzle put on. <laughs> All right. So Jesus was saying, I want you completely muzzled. For the first two and a half to three years of Jesus' ministry, he did not make it well known that he was the Messiah. He did lots of miracles. He did all these things, but he was not bringing out who he was in direct ways. Now, just as he did in Nazareth, he says, this day is this verse fulfilled in your sight. All right. If they knew the word of God, they knew that he had just claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. But not everybody understood that. But the demons would cry out, you, what have we to do with you, the Christ? And he would say, be quiet. He would tell them to be silent. And here he says, be muzzled, be silent, and come out of him. And the demon came out. Now, you go, well, and the people were amazed. He goes, he speaks with authority and power, so much so that the demons listened to him. Now, it was not unusual for Jewish leaders to be, do exorcisms. But they did not ever just do what Jesus did. They would come in with their, their holy waters and, their, and the blood and, and rituals and the prayers that they would say, and they followed a whole long ritual thing, and, and at the end they hoped the demon came out. And most of them did not have demons come out because the demons just laughed at them. Jesus comes in and he says, come out. And the demon came out. Do you realize the power that we have as Christians? God still does miracles today as he did back then, as he did back in the Old Testament. He is still there to do miracles. Now, I'm not telling everybody to go out and find somebody with a demon in them and go cast that demon out. Because if you're not right with God, that's not a good thing to be doing. But we have, because Christ is in us, we have the power to be able to cast out a demon. We have the power to pray for somebody and to get them healed. We have the power in us to be able to do anything that is from the Bible. And it's not us, it's the power in us that we're tapping into because Christ and the Holy Spirit live in us. We need to be able to start understanding. Most of us in America are powerless Christians because we don't ever think about the spiritual side of things. And we are spoiled in America. We have freedom of religion, which nobody really persecutes us yet. And we have everything that we want for the most part and don't really feel like we need anything. We don't get driven to our knees very often. Now, none of us are rich in everything by American standards, but you realize that Everybody in this room at least has a roof over their head. Most of us are not starving to death. You know, even the people that are hungry in America really aren't hungry if they were in other parts of the country or the world. Most of the world is lucky to have two meals a day. And those meals are not what we would consider meals in most cases. For much of the world, they get a, a scoop of rice in the morning and that's their breakfast and then they have 
a scoop of rice and maybe some vegetables and maybe a piece of meat if they're lucky for dinner. And we would say, wow, you guys are really starving. You know, we need to understand by in comparison to the rest of the world, we are spoiled in America. And that very act that we're spoiled keeps us from really paying attention to God in most cases. Asking God for his benefits and his blessings. I have a feeling things are going to change as we, go, as we move closer to the end days. And we're moving to the end days fast, people. Jesus spoke with authority and power. God wants to give his children our needs. Do we remember to thank him for his blessings? Now, sometimes even having a good job can, be, can spoil you because you think, well, you know, I work hard all week long, I get a paycheck, I'm taking care of myself. Who gave you the ability to do that job? Who gave you the ability to keep the job? Is God. We need to make sure we're thanking God for what he's doing and saying thank you for what, what you're doing, God, because without him, we can't do anything. But I love the verse, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me all things. If God is telling you to do something, you can do it. And it's an amazing thing when you watch and you're going, well, God, I can't do that. So God's a liar? If you have ever said, I cannot do something that you know that God is trying to tell you to do, then you're calling God a liar because he says you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Now, you've got to remember that it's not me doing it. Now, if I'm trying to do it, I probably would fall flat on my face on most of what I do. But because God is my strength, I can do whatever it is he's asked me to do. And don't ever look down on what God's asking you to do. It's an amazing thing that, you know, how many people say, well, I can't serve God, you know. Uh, we tell people we've got tracks in the back, and I encourage people to pass out tracks. You know, and a lot of people say, well, that's, that's so easy, I don't want to do that one. You know, we give out quite a bit of tracks for a small church here. But you know, if every single person in this church gave one out, we'd be giving out a lot more tracks than we give away. You know, I was talking to a pastor who was trying to get his people to go on. I go, yeah, well, we do okay. We pass out about 500 tracks a year. And he goes, well, how big's your church? I go, well, we got about 25. He goes, you guys are passing that many out? And I know it's only a handful of people passing them out. You know, are you mentioning God? Are you passing... You know, how hard is it to give a track out? How hard is it to just bless somebody by praying for them? You know, if you're a prayer warrior, you have a great opportunity to go to people and just say, how can I pray for you? That opens doors that you would never even imagine. I've seen prayer warriors do a lot of evangelism because you'll go out to a restaurant and they'll just ask the, the server, is there something I can pray for you for? And have a gospel opportunity open up how can you open up people's lives you know, maybe you're a giver maybe you're somebody who just wants to help people by giving make sure those giving opportunities are a chance to open up the gospel if you're a prayer warrior use that you know whatever it is that god has asked you to do and, and equipped you to do use it to minister before god because god is asking us to serve the great commission before Jesus was said, go unto the world and preach. 
starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, many of us have a lot easier time witnessing to people in the uttermost parts of the world because we're never going to see them again. Now, who are the hardest people to witness to? Family and friends. Number one, they don't like to listen to us because they, they think we're going to become something other than, than what we are. You know, they've seen us go through many things before and they don't really believe. Sometimes it's simply, well, I can't witness to my friends. I've, you know, I, we've been friends for 20 years. They might not like me if they think I've become a Jesus freak. You know, and what are we saying at that point in time? My friendship with them is more important than, than them going to heaven or hell. I'm really not sure that I want to have a friendship that says, well, you can go to hell, I don't care. My friendship is more important to me than the chance of you going to hell. It's a very strange way to think. But I also understand how people have invested much of their life in this person and are going, well, I, I can't not be friends with them. We want to be careful about that. Who are you sharing the gospel with? It is an important eternal decision. Jesus tells this, this demon to come out, and the people are amazed. Jesus, you didn't go through the holy water and, the, and the, this step, whatever those steps were, and you didn't say these words, and you didn't say these prayers. You just commanded him, and he came out. And the result of that action was a multitude showed up to be healed. Every time Jesus did something big, a whole bunch of people came and gathered around so they could be partakers of it. What would happen if you start bringing God openly into every situation? Every situation you bring God in and people get miracles that change their life. Or are you just a secret agent Christian? Nobody's going to know that I'm a Christian. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to tell anybody. Nobody's going to know that, I go to, that, I, that, I'm, that I'm a follower of God. Because I don't want to offend anybody. In today's world, in America, that is what we're supposed to do, not offend anybody. You know what? The gospel message offends. Telling somebody that there is one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ and Him only, offends people. To tell people that they are lost in their sin and going to hell without Jesus offends people. The truth is offensive. Now, we're to give the, the truth in love. Now, we're not to be rejoicing that people are going to hell because of their sin. We should be heartbroken that they're going to hell and be able to express to them their need for Jesus and see what they can do with God. Jesus had great compassion on the lost. He did not have a whole lot of compassion on the self-righteous. The people who think that they thought that they were better than everybody else and they were going to heaven because of all their good works, Jesus was not very kind to them. He, call, he called them all kinds of nice things like uh, brood of vipers, uh, men and dead men walking, uh, whitewashed sepulchers. You know, he had real nice things to say about them. But those who were broken and lost and knew that they had trouble, he was very compassionate on we need to learn to have compassion. Who needs help around us? What can we do to help that person who truly needs help? 
And I'm not talking about the people who are just looking for a handout. And, and you know, we've got all kinds of people who are looking for the handout. But the people who truly need help need to be helped. And when we find those type of people, we need to help them and be able to help them be able to get better. This is what Jesus did with, his, with the people. He reached out and he touched their lives. He, he helped them in all that they were doing. So our call as Christians is, are we going to walk in the power and victory of the Holy Spirit? Or are we going to be defeated? If we're walking in defeat, then we need to think one, one of two things. Get right with God? Or become a Christian in the first place? God gives us victory. The Holy Spirit lives in us if we're his children. To be his child is a real simple thing. That I'm a sinner, I deserve punishment, I accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, come into my life and fill me. Very simple. Recognize what I am, where, I, where I'm going, and that Jesus paid the price. It's a gift of grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing I can do to earn salvation. It's grace. And we never can earn grace because if we earned it, it would not be grace. And God says, I've got grace for you. So our call is to bring grace into people's lives. Show them grace. Let them understand God's love and there's grace for them. We're going to end here with a prayer. Then we're going to have a quick altar call. And then we're going to have our communion after that. So, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you. Lord, if there's anyone listening to this that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will commit their life to Christ and they will turn to you and follow you. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians, teach us to live victoriously through your spirit, to be more and more devoted to you and more and more guided by you in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.